0: I want to welcome you this morning to this special service of Tenebrae, a service of shadows, preparing us to walk all the way to the cross with Christ so that we can prepare ourselves for the Easter season as well. A couple of announcements as we ready ourselves for today. Um, one is at the in end of this service, our service of daily Eucharist will happen in Fletcher Chapel and that'll be led by Dr. Jim Hampton. And if you'd like to participate in a service of Holy Communion, very brief today, following this service, you're welcome to follow uh, to Fletcher Chapel and participate in that service. Another is that over lunch today, there are representatives from the Global Methodist Church from the Eastern Texas Annual Conference who will be present in the lunchroom and would love to meet with any of you. You're welcome to join them for lunch. There will be designated tables near the salad bar, and then they have open appointments this afternoon for anyone that would like to meet with them. Today, as we enter into this service, you'll notice in your bulletin that you have the words to songs. Uh, Those are there for us to meditate on and for you to truly think about and see what the choir is singing for us today. So we'd invite you to Uh, Take time and take the bulletin with you today. Take this as a a means of meditation for the next few weeks as we prepare for Holy Week and Easter. Our Holy Week here always begins a little early because next week is a week that we disperse to various places, um, and it's part of our reading week as well. So we begin this week really readying and preparing our hearts as this season of Lent escalates towards the end. Um, Part of the service today is to let you know that the choir feels your appreciation and your participation, uh, but we won't have any applause between songs as we go today. This is a service of worship, and so we'll be giving glory to God in our hearts. And while the lyrics are found printed, there will be a song that you're invited to sing on, and I'm sure Danny Key will make that abundantly clear to us. And those lyrics will be found on the screens today. And then at the end of the service today, you'll notice that the slides will indicate that we can leave in silence to keep the posture and the spirit of the service today. So the choir will actually exit the way they came in, and then we can stay in our seats for a moment. And if you would like to stay where you are for a few minutes, meditate, spend time in prayer in this room, um, or if you'd like to leave in silence and go to the next place that you're headed. A few thank yous uh, that they wanted to convey. We all wanted to convey today. Um, thank you to everyone on the Asbury Seminary staff that's been such a big help today. Our sound and tech crew, um, our, uh, those on the grounds crew and facilities who helped prepare and ready this room. The Wilmore Anglican Church that uses this room on Sundays for helping us um, with this space and the Wilmore Free Methodist Church for the various things that they loaned for the service. And then most of all to our seminary singers for your preparation, your heart, and your worship that you are bringing for us today to participate in for Reverend Danny Key and Mrs. Julie Tennant and their leadership. Um, Their acts of leadership and worship are a blessing to us today, and I know that we're grateful. As we enter into worship today, I'd like to open with a prayer um, from the Book of Common Prayer, a collect for Good Friday, which is not yet here, but we can go there together in our worship, in our hearts, and so we're readying ourselves uh, for what God is doing in our midst. Let us pray. Almighty God. We ask you graciously to look upon this, your family gathered today, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross. Grant that we, your children, might with new eyes see this loving Christ, who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
1: I think I knew him better than almost anyone else. I mean, how could I not? I certainly knew him longer than anyone else on this earth. Over the past few years, people have asked me, how much did you know? Did you know he was who he says he is now? I certainly had some idea. Before he was born, the angel of the Lord said he was a son of God. That he would be given the throne of the house of David. When we presented him at the temple, as is the custom, I met this man named Simeon. He was a righteous man and he had waited his whole life to meet the Messiah. He said to me, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And, he said, and a sword will pierce your soul too. Even while he was there on the cross in so much pain, he was still thinking of others. I was there, I had been there from the very beginning. How could I let him be alone now? So many of his friends had abandoned him, but some of us, we were watching. My sister was with me, and some of his followers, Mary Magdalene and John. (laughs) Jesus loved John. They were like brothers, and I was so glad because so many from our hometown had rejected him. Any mother will tell you, no matter how old your children are, it breaks your heart to see them in pain. But to think, he was thinking of me. He saw me there with John, and he said to him, He said to me, woman, here is your son. And he said to John, here is your mother. John took me into his own home. After that, he didn't even need to think twice. John told me later that the night before the Passover, the night Jesus was arrested, They all met together for a meal. And after it was over, Jesus took a towel and a basin. And he washed their feet. Even I know this is the job. It's the job for the lowest of servants. I shouldn't be surprised. Jesus never let go who he was go to his head. I think he knew, even as a young boy, that he was to obey the will of his father. But it still amazes me. He was the Messiah. He had crowds follow him all over Judea. And this is how he choose to spend the last day before he dies. With his friends, washing their feet John told me that Judas was there, the one who betrayed Jesus. I'm sure Jesus knew what Judas was about to do. Um, After all, he knew all things. But he still washed his feet. It was one of those things he taught the crowds. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Even from the cross. He said, even from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They do not know what they are doing. They didn't know who He was. But I did.
2: I will never forget the day I met him. It was at Jacob's well at Sychar. I came to the well around noon, and there he was, sitting there alone. So I went on about my business. I know that any Jewish self-respecting man doesn't associate with Samaritans, let alone a Samaritan woman. But then he asked me for a drink. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what to say at first because it didn't make sense. He couldn't even drink water from my water jar without making himself unclean. I know their law. And then he said the strangest thing. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. Well, I certainly didn't know what to do with that either. He didn't even have a bucket. Where was he going to get this water from? But then he said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. It all sounds too good to be true, but if it was true, I can't possibly let it pass by. So I said to him, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and I won't have to come back to the well anymore. And then he did this again. He said, go call your husband and come back. And I said, what are you talking about i don't have a husband and he said you are right for you have had five husbands and i the one you have now is not your husband he knew and i knew this was no ordinary man at first i thought he was only a prophet but then we began to talk about true worship Jews or Samaritans or Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem. He said, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Of course, I knew what he was talking about. Samaritans wait for the Messiah just as the Jews do. So I told him, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Now I expected us to discuss further, but I wasn't expecting what he told me next. I am he, the one who is speaking to you. I knew it was true but I still almost couldn't believe it. The Messiah was here, and he was speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? But all I could think to do was to go back home and tell everyone I could. He was the one we had been waiting for all these years, for generations. Of course, I had to tell everyone. I was in such a hurry, I left my water jar behind, but I didn't care. I ran into the town and told everyone who would listen, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? And so many believed they went to see for themselves. And they even invited him to stay with us for a few days. Who would imagine a Jewish man coming to stay in Samaria? But he is the Messiah, and everything is different now. So many more believed. After he left, they told me, it is no longer because what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the savior of the world.
3: Before I followed Jesus, it doesn't matter. None of that matters now. He changed everything. Before I met him, my life was in shambles. I was possessed by seven demons, seven. One is bad enough. I don't think I even knew how many there were until he cast them out of me. No one could help me before him. Plenty tried. But they all eventually gave up. They always did. Not him. All it took was a simple word. He told them to leave and they left. He had authority like No one else did. I was hardly the only one. He didn't just cast out demons. He healed the sick, even raised the dead. There was this one time in Capernaum. He told Peter, James, and John not to tell what they had seen, but word got out, it always did. The synagogue leader's daughter had died. But Jesus went inside the house and took her hand and said, little girl, get up. And she did, as if nothing had ever happened. Of course, I was amazed when I heard the story. But when I heard he said, little girl, get up. I remembered when he'd healed me as if it had been yesterday. When he sent the demons away after they had possessed me for so long, I couldn't even stand. I collapsed to the ground. I was so weak. But he reached out his hand to me and helped me up. And he looked me in the eye and told me everything was going to be all right. I knew at that moment I would follow him to the ends of the earth. That's why I stayed until the end. He told us once that he was going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die, but none of us really understood that he meant he would literally die. He spoke in stories and parables all the time. It's, we didn't know he was being serious. Then he said to us, if anyone wishes to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I didn't exactly know what he was talking about then, but I certainly have a better idea now. It was one of his own disciples who betrayed him, Judas Iscariot. He he had followed Jesus longer than I had. And I heard that all it took was 30 pieces of silver to hand him over to the high priests. How could he do that? He's not at all who I thought he was. But Jesus? Jesus was everything I thought he was, and more. When they brought him before the council, there were people making false claims about him, but he did not say a word against them. Then the high priest asked, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest said he must die, and that's when they took him away. I knew I couldn't leave him behind, and some of the other women from Galilee stayed with me. After all, he'd done so much for us, for all his people, how could we not? I wouldn't be standing here without him. There must be a reason for all of this.
4: Who do you think you are, Jesus of Nazareth? No, really, I wanna know. I, I can't seem to figure you out. Who do you think you are? Well, I know what they think you are, and it's nothing good. They bring you to me all up in arms about how you're calling yourself their king or something like that. Did you even hear the things they were saying about you? You couldn't even defend yourself? And what was all that about how they wouldn't even come into my headquarters? Something about being unclean. I don't understand these people and all their rituals. But they simply must see me and apparently it cannot wait. So I asked them what they want me to do with him. And they want him executed. But is this really my business? I mean, is it? So I tell them that they need to judge him themselves. But they are just not letting this go. So I go back inside and take a look at this Jesus. And I ask, are you the king of the Jews? And he says to me, Do you ask this on your own? Or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? His own people have turned him over to me. What has this man done to make them so angry? So I ask him, and of course this man can't answer a simple question. And he says... You say that I am a king, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. What is truth? But quite frankly, I don't see that he's guilty, though certainly obnoxious. So I go back outside of the crowd, and I know they're not going to want to hear it but I wanna watch them fight among themselves. Oh, don't look at me like that. What's the point in being governor if you can't have a little fun? So I tell them, I don't see any case against him, but I know it's your custom. At the Passover to release a prisoner, shall I release the king of the Jews? And just when I think it can't get any more ridiculous, they tell me, We want Barabbas. Barabbas? Really? An actual criminal? Whoever this Jesus is, they must really want him dead. So I have the soldiers bring him out to the crowd after they've beaten him up a bit. The crowd goes wild. They're screaming, crucify him. Again, is this really my job? Like crucify him yourself. But No, they have to have it their way. They said he has claimed to be the son of God. That's interesting. So I tried to question him further, but now he just stops talking. Like, What is his problem? Didn't he know I have the power to kill him or let him go? But of course, he's got an answer for that too. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. You know, I, I was really ready to let him go, this crowd, they're insufferable. Their audacity, they accuse me of speaking against Caesar. Oh, how dare they? There are so many of them, and I have to think about myself at some point. So I handed him over to be crucified. I, I put an inscription above the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. <laughs> oh, I knew that when the priests saw it, oh, they would be furious. Well, what can I say? (laughs) Couldn't resist. Whatever he was, it wasn't my problem.
5: I was in Jerusalem for the Passover. I had traveled from Serene with my sons Rufus and Alexander, as we did each year. We were on our way to the city with some other families from our hometown when we came upon a massive crowd blocking the way. I made my way to the front. I wanted to see what they were all staring at. Why so many had gathered Jews and Romans alike. That's when I saw the soldiers coming up the road with a prisoner behind them. Another crucifixion. <sighs> Even on a holy day in Jerusalem, it seems the Romans wouldn't let anything get in the way of business as usual. It's a terrible thing to witness Grown men screaming for their mothers, bidding within an inch of their life, and then hanging by their arms naked for everyone to see while they die. It's awful. And yet, somehow, you can't look away. Despite the gruesomeness of it all, the crowds are always captivated. It seems the Romans wanted that way, sending a message of what could happen to you if you don't obey, letting us know who is really in charge. When they came closer to where I was standing, I could see this man was in bad condition. He was struggling to continue walking, his feet barely hold the ground. And the crossbeam was almost crushing him. I pitied him, but I assume I would be pitying him from a distance. Not so. Before I knew what was happening, one of the soldiers was in front of me. I don't know why he singled me out. But I wasn't in a position to refuse. A Roman soldier can conscript any man he likes and I knew that trying to get out would be more trouble than it is worth. They took me to the man and said that I was to carry his cross the rest of the way. He was younger than me, a Jewish man, probably from the surrounding area. I wonder what he had done to invoke such a harsh punishment. He was covered in blood. He had been beaten severely. His bag was torn to shreds. He nearly fell to the ground when I took the crossbeam off his shoulder. Almost too weak to stand. I hate to admit it, but selfishly, I hope for my own sake that he survived the journey. If he died and I touch his body, I would be unclean and, unob- and unable to join the Passover feast. His blood was already all over my best tunic. What was I supposed to say when I arrived? I tried to go fast enough to keep the soldiers happy, but not so much that the man couldn't keep up. At times, he leaned on me for support. At one point, he looked me in the eye, almost as if he knew me. I'd never seen him before, but it was as if he knew who I was. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but it was almost like he was looking directly into my soul. No one had ever looked at me that way before. I didn't know what to make of it, so I didn't say anything. I just kept walking. We made it to the place where he was to be crucified. And the soldiers told me I was free to go. Although it was as it 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 was although in what I assume was a twisted attempt of humor, they invited me to stay and watch. But I had seen enough. It will be a long time before I can forget.
6: You know, I've seen my fair share of crucifixions. I've probably seen a lot of people's fair share of crucifixions. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. It's not a pleasant job to do, but there are worse assignments for a soldier. Not much surprises me anymore. I've seen everything. Except for this time. I'd never seen anything like this. Maybe I should start from the beginning. You know, they had brought this man to Pilate, some rabbi from Galilee. They were all up in arms about him, about something, saying he was claiming to be the son of God, the king of the Jews. Whatever it was, they wanted him crucified. And there was already a bigger crowd in the city than usual, It was one of those festivals they have seven times a year or something. Who can keep track of it all? But my cohort, my cohort was ready to shut it down if we needed to. But then Pilate handed the man over to us. So we took him into the courtyard. That's the thing about crucifixion. It's not just about the death, although that's the part that most people think about. It's not just about the pain, it's what comes before the pain, the humiliation. They flog him first, but then it's time for the show. Insult to injury, if you will. All right, all right, all right, I know it's cruel, but I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't at least a little fun. Like I said, I've been a soldier for a long time. It's almost an initiation for the new recruits. Nothing like a common enemy to build camaraderie. It's what they told me when I was put in charge of this cohort. Keep your people happy. Let them blow off some steam. And there will be less dissension in the ranks. So we took his clothes off. And dressed him up like a king. We put a red robe on him, made a crown of thorns, and put a reed in his hand. Hail, the king of the Jews. And once I decided that he'd had enough, we gave him his clothes back and started the trip to Golgotha. Some of these guys don't even make it up there. You know, the prisoners that are weak, sometimes just the flogging takes the life out of them. They collapse on the road, and that's the end of that. This one barely made it. You see, these cross beams, they are heavy. But the Jews insisted he be crucified. And if there was one thing I didn't want, it was a riot. So one of my officers found a bystander and conscripted him right there. I'm sure he wasn't thrilled about it. You know, but it's hard to argue with a man with a sword. There were two others we crucified with him. We put the rabbi right in the middle, between them and watched them taunt him for a while. I was there with three of my officers and we knew he had some time to kill, pardon the expression. That's the point of crucifixion. It's slow, it's an agonizing death. They can't breathe while they're hanging there from their arms. So they have to push up with their feet just to get enough breath. Eventually, they don't have the strength anymore. And the life just gets squeezed out of them. Meanwhile, the crowd keeps yelling things at him like, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he wants to, for he said, I am the son of God. I ignored it all after a while. I was too busy casting lots for his clothes. There was this one really nice tunic, one piece of material woven from the top to the bottom. It, would, it wouldn't fit me, um, but I thought I might be able to sell it. Maybe one of his, you know, who are they, the followers? Maybe one of his followers would buy it. But then strange things started to happen. It was only noon, but it suddenly got dark and it stayed dark for a few hours. Then the man yelled out, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. The crowd thought he was calling for somebody named Elijah. Maybe they couldn't hear him from far away, but I was right there. So I could hear every word. It means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's when he did something nobody ever does. He gave up. He gave up. Most of these men being crucified fight to the end. Some of them last for days up there. But this is hard to explain. But it's as if he just gave up his spirit. He yelled, it is finished. And that was it. It was like he had done it on purpose. Who does that? And just when I thought I'd seen everything, there was an earthquake of all things. And there was no denying it. The whole earth shook. Tombs broke open. I even heard that the curtain of the Jews' temple was torn in two. Man, I can't describe it. But somehow I was sure that there was something different about this man. Mm. Surely he was innocent. He had to have been God's son. Just like he said he was. But there's one thing that I just do not understand. If he is the son of God. Then why did it have to end like this?
7: first time I spoke with him, I came to him late at night. I didn't want anyone to see that I was there. I was afraid of what people would think. Me, a Pharisee, a respected member of the Sanhedrin, speaking with this man who had already caused so much controversy.
8: I had heard rumors. It was impossible not to. He was all anyone in. Judea could talk about for the past three years, fed 5,000 people with few barley loaves, healed a man's son in Capernaum all the way from Cana, healed a man on Sabbath. Of course, the card was amazing,
7: but the authorities had their concerns. I didn't understand the things he said to me at the time. I still don't completely understand them. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I'm not sure what I expected saving the world to look like but I certainly did not expect anything like this.
8: I was actually there at the festival of Booths. I couldn't believe Jesus would go there considering how many people were looking for him. But he went right up to the temple and began to teach the crowds. I heard some of it,
7: I was amazed. He was young for a rabbi. He had no formal schooling. So naturally he was questioned about how he knew so much. He said to them, you know me and you know where I am from. I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true and you do not know him. I know him because I am from him and that he sent me. Well, that did it. Oh, they were ready to arrest him right there. But they didn't. Yeah. The chief priests were furious, and so were the other Pharisees. I did my best to ease the tension. Our law judges not people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are doing, does it? But I could not say anything further. I was afraid of what they would do to me if they thought... I was associated with him
8: that wasn't even the worst of it before the Passover he raised a man from the dead Lazarus of Bethany so many Jews were believing in Jesus after that including me but I didn't dare to tell
7: anyone else I was afraid my colleagues felt that drastic measures needed to be taken even the high priest was involved he was determined to put Jesus to death
8: And that's exactly what they did. It wasn't long after this happened that they finally arrested him and had him
7: crucified. It was already the day of preparation and we couldn't leave his body there on the Sabbath.
8: I didn't want them to just take him away, bury him like some common criminal. So I went to Pilate and asked if I could take his body. There was a tomb nearby a garden that was owned by my family No one had ever been buried there before. I couldn't follow him closely while he was alive, but at least I could be there at
7: the end. I brought myrrh and aloes, so we could wrap his body in linen according to the customs. He was a Jew after all. How could we not give him the dignity of a proper Jewish burial? Some women were there as well. Followers of his from Galilee. We rolled a stone in front of the entrance to the tomb. And by that time, it was nearly sundown. We had to go home before the Sabbath began. And as we were leaving the garden, I couldn't help but think of something I had studied in the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth.